Hello and welcome back to What the Fort at the Euros. There's no other way to say this really, but it is the big one. It's England versus Germany at Wembley at a major tournament where the winner will surely have a decent run to get to the final. And to join us, we've got two regular voices and one brand new one to help us review probably the biggest game of the year so far, especially if you're living in England, Germany or support either of the teams. And first and foremost, we have Mr. England himself, regular voice of the show, Jack Shields, joining from the North. Jack, how you doing, mate? You all right? I'm very good. Looking forward to the, the game on Tuesday, Graham. I think you've summed it up uh, very well. It's a big, big game, isn't it? And even if you're not interested in football, you can't really ignore it or get away from the fact that it's probably the biggest game of the year. So, yeah, I think you hyped it up very well there and I agree with you. Yeah, I feel like my head's going to explode, mate, already because I've got tickets and as soon as I've seen that flash up on the app, my head just went... <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever been at anything that big. But I said you were from the north. We've got representation in the south as well. Matt from Jills in the Blood joining us again, mate. How are you doing? Are you all right? Yeah, very well. And I think like you and Jack have both said, it's going to be huge, isn't it? And... um I'm not sure it's just biggest game of the year. It's biggest game in quite a few years, I think, isn't it, in terms of the rivalry and the history between the two sides and everything else that goes with it. And yeah, can't wait. And slightly more confident than usual playing the Germans, but I'm sure we'll get into that in more detail. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's an unfortunate or fortunate thing. We spoke about that off air, but we will get into it. Um, last but not least, and I've hopefully got this all correct, but making his debut as an England fan, also Liverpool and Bayern fan, living in the States, who follows Bayern specifically, um, very much in the know on the German team and the German media and the feeling around the uh, the country, I suppose. It's Tom from BavarianFootballWorks.com. Tom, how are you doing now? You all right? Yep, you got that spot on too. Thank you for the introduction. And obviously, I'm looking forward to this just as much as you guys are. I think you've all pretty much covered it with that. This is a uh, momentous occasion that doesn't really need as much buildup, you know, from us or anybody else. I mean, I'm sure we're going to have the same type of 96, 2010 drama that we've had. So I'm very nervous because these are both of the teams I support, but I do get a lot of stick on my website for backing England. But, you know, been a Liverpool fan since I was a little kid, obsessed with Steven Gerrard. He was my idol. So uh, very, very difficult. But I will try to cover this one as objective as possible. Well, I used to think I was quite in the on the Bundesliga and then I looked at the German squad and I was like, what? Like, I don't know who that guy is. So I was just like, I need someone who watches the Bundesliga at least a little bit more than Jack, Matt and myself. Not that I'm putting you two guys down. Um, 
I think, as I've just said before, as most of Twitter knows, I haven't been quiet about it. I've got a ticket for Tuesday. And my head feels like it's ready to explode. Um, but I'll come to you first, Jack. Uh, you've probably covered it already, but how are you feeling ahead of the game with two, day, two three days away? Yeah, um, a little bit confident, to be honest. Um, I mean, normally when you say Germany, you think, oh, you know, the, the Germans. And, you know, it's, it's a cliche from England fans, but they're always, I think... We, we don't like them, but I think there's also a begrudging... We begrudgingly admire them a little bit because the ruthless efficiency at major tournaments is superb and they always seem to be there or thereabouts, don't they? You count up the finals that they've had and been in in Euros and World Cups and it's excellent. I think they've won four World Cups, they've won three Euros and been in about another seven or eight finals. So, you know, they are ruthlessly efficient and they always get the job done. But I'm pretty confident. I'm looking at that German team. It's not a classic German team. Um, and I think we've, we haven't seen the best from England yet. I think there's still a lot more to come. And I'm really hopeful that, you know, they, they grab the occasion and uh, they recognise how big of a football match it is. And we do see a better England because, you know, I mean, we've won, we've won two out of three and kept, kept three clean sheets. But I still think there's another gear to find from this England team. And I think hopefully if we can, you know, play anywhere near the potential, I think we've got a great chance of beating Germany and then, you know, hopefully advancing further in the tournament. I totally agree with you with what you said when you said admiration for, for the Germans. Like, secretly, totally do, 100%. Like, I love German football, I love the Bundesliga, but when you play the, the Germans, as my granddad would say, um, <laughs> you're, just, you're desperate to beat them. But I think that's just 96, so it like, plays on my mind as a, a little kid. And it was the only game where, like, obviously, as people will remember, Kunt equalised. To which I shouted at the TV, oh, cunts in my, in my grandma's house. And I thought I was going to get grounded for a week and I had to convince her that it was actually cunts that had scored. Um, we're going to have to put explicit on this episode now. There you go. But um, Matt, in, in the order that I introduced you all, I'll come to you next. Um, we've sort of talked a bit off, off air about stuff like this. We're obviously both proud Englishmen. England, Germany doesn't get much bigger than this. We're both feeling a little bit confident. But um, do you think that might change as the hours tick down? Uh, probably, yeah. I think by about this time in two days' time, I'll be a gibbering wreck. I think you've um, stretched the pronunciation on that goal scorer to get out of being grounded. I won't lie. I think it was, <laughs> wasn't it? But if you've gone with the, uh, as it was spelt, then you've managed to swerve a grounding. But yeah, back to Tuesday. I think it's, like Jack said, it's not, it's not an archetypal German side, is it? And if you look at their teams throughout the years, it probably it's probably born out of a little bit of jealousy that they do everything how we want to do it and that's they get to the business end of competitions and, and they just grind out results even when they're not at their best but if you look at this German side and just looking at their last 10 games it's not a German side that we're used to seeing they look open defensively I think Joachim Love's probably taken this this team and this group of players as far as he can and I know this is his last tournament but it, it looks like that way as well I don't think they're the force that they usually are. If you look at their through group games, I thought they was bang average against the French. The French didn't really have to get out of second or third gear to beat them pretty comfortably. I know it was only one goal in it, but I thought the French were comfortable all throughout that 90 minutes. I think the only time the Germans have really turned it on so far is, is when they looked like they was on the verge of going out. And that was when they were losing against Portugal. They were very good for probably 70 minutes from, from when Ronaldo scored to the point where they went 4-1 up. And then they only started playing. I didn't watch the game because I was watching the other group game that night. But it looks like they only started playing when when Hungary were beating them, and uh, and they realised that this really is last chance saloon. And it, there's certainly major chinks in the German armour this time, I think. And I'm sure Tom could probably fill us in a bit more. But yeah, it's probably the most confident 
I've been in as an England fan facing Germany in a major tournament. And we all go back to Gaza in 96, don't we? And being the length of a stud away from, from winning it with a golden goal and handling it in a post. And then we had Frank Lampard in 2010. I don't think it had a bearing on the results, to be honest. We were bang average at best and shit at worst at that tournament. And uh, they deserved to beat us comfortably. But you never know if it had been allowed, which it should have been. It could have been a different day. But yeah, don't want to get too ahead of myself, but you can't help like fans of all, all countries are doing and thinking if we can just get through this, the draw opens up and it doesn't look too shabby from an English point of view if we can get into the quarterfinals. But it's still a big if. This German team's probably dangerous when people are writing them off. I think for me with um, talking there about the 2010 game, that really sticks in my mind. And from the outside looking in, it's sort of, and I, I know this is going to bite me on the arse and the Germans are going to stuff us. I know this always happens to me for some reason, but that's... I've got to say what I think when I'm on the spot. Um, when you look at that 2010 game and you go back to when the players they had, the players we had, we had the Gerrards, we had the Lampards, but they were like the wrong side of 30. They had like young Ozil, Thomas Müller, when no one really knew who he was outside of Germany, pretty much. All these players that have gone on to have really good careers and gone for millions and millions of pounds. And we had players that had been there and done it. And you were kind of like, oh, last chance of Lunas is last chance of the golden generation. I always remember, I think it was it was either, I think it was Ozil for the fourth goal, the way he like left Gareth Barry as if he was an old man on the Zimmer frame for like the fourth goal and just burst past him and he just went, Right, we need to kind of scrap things up. But this game feels like the opposite way a little bit. Like they've got a lot of players around the thirties, the Hummels, the players who were brilliant players and still great players. But have they got enough to win the tournament that they used to? Well, it's players that were written off and told yeah. by Joachim Love that they weren't going to be picked and then he's had to bring them back. So you've got to ask the question. And again, Tom can probably answer this more. Why have they bought them back? For me, it looks like it's because there's a lack of options elsewhere and that's why they've been forced to, to make this U-turn. Maybe he, some of the players have got something on uh, Joachim Love, a la Matt Hancock's uh, recent, <laughs> recent situation, scratch and sniff videos, yes, many of them, but um, we will come on to you, Tom, because obviously you know much more about the German team than, than we do, not that they're in unknown quantity, but obviously you, you study it a lot closer. I've been watching Sky Sports and there's a guy on that I just love, I forget his name, the German correspondent, and he's full of confidence to the point where he's almost like, well, we're looking forward to the quarterfinals, that level of confidence, um, that's stereotypically something that is seen to be like an English thing. But as someone who knows the German media more than sort of we do, probably, how are the, the Deutschland fans sort of viewing Tuesday's game and the media viewing the game? Yeah, and I think that might be Max Bielefeld that you're referring to. We obviously look at him quite a bit and we're looking for sources and that sort of thing. Could be mixing him up with somebody else. Obviously, there's more than one. But just listening to what all of you guys have had to say, and interestingly enough, you know, myself with my uh, fanmanship kind of being on both sides of the score, uh, coin, so to speak, it's kind of funny, you know, I, I think about, you know, football's coming home and, you know, all the banter that surrounds that. I think you guys can attest that people who aren't from England, maybe elsewhere in Europe or elsewhere uh, across the globe, like the 2018 World Cup, for example, they don't necessarily get the fact that England fans are kind of poking fun at themselves and like having fun with it rather than, you know, actually being serious and trying to rub it in anybody else's face. Cracked the, uh, the goose, so to speak, of finally winning a penalty shootout at that tournament. And so I, I kind of look at this from both sides of the coin. There's almost, as you guys have mentioned, this underlying air of impending, you know, frustration or being let down from the English standpoint, right? You know, I think that Southgate has shown with his squad selections and his match plans that he's been very, very 
pragmatic, I think would be the best word to describe it. Having watched all of these England matches, you know, only two goals with all the attacking firepower that he has at his disposal. It's almost, he's spoiled for choice. I mean, he's got too many players to choose from in that sense, but not conceding a goal and getting those things uh, right, you know, and making those adjustments between Reese James, uh, Luke Shaw coming in for the second game, Tyrone Mings, who I thought has been very impressive and, he was kind of someone I was worried about watching some of the English friendlies in the build-up to this tournament. But then you flip it to the German side. We mentioned Joachim Love, you know, in the German press. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any German fan to say he's not on borrow time. I mean, I think his day was up. Personally, if it were me, I would have made the decision to pull the plug after the Nations League following the horrendous debacle that was the 2018 World Club. Losing to Mexico, barely squeaking by against Sweden with that Tony Cruz free kick. I think you all know the one I'm speaking of. Yeah. And then just falling apart uh, against uh, the Korean Republic. So it's just one of those things. I think he's on borrow time. Like I said, I don't think anybody in Germany would. You'd be very hard-pressed to find someone who disagrees with that. Uh, and as Matt was mentioning, then it was actually in between the two legs against uh, Liverpool and Bayern in the 2018-2019 uh, season when Liverpool went on to win the Champions League, which was funny. I was able to give all of my uh, contributors that Bavarian football work some stick, but it was in between those two legs in the round of 16 that Joachim Love shows up to Bavaria in Munich, you know, goes to a conference room in a hotel, and he brings in Müller, Boateng, Mats Hummels, and tells him, you know what, you're not in the plans anymore for the German national team, which is just a terrible time to do that especially Liverpool or uh, excuse me Bayern were still in the mix because that first leg in Anfield finished nil-nil. Mats Hummels was still a Bayern player at that time as obviously was uh, Müller and Boateng. Just the worst time. Like why would you do that? An absolute confidence killer and I think it's it's been shown how much that was the wrong decision. Boateng is maybe where you would you would find a little bit of wiggle room. He's aging, he's up there in Bayern's trouble trouble run last season. He could barely go past 60 minutes, 70 minutes. His fitness was was definitely starting to lack, but I think Hansi Flick kind of played on the fact that you can make five subs. That really helped us, and he used that to his advantage. But, you know, as uh, Matt had mentioned, when it's Killian Mbappe and Matt's Hummels running for pace, you know, you're, you're only going to have one winner in that situation. And as much as he does provide that stability in the back alongside Ginter and Rudiger, you know, he's there for the taking. But, you know, Joachim Love, especially after that 2018 World Cup, was so adamant on trying to integrate more of the younger players into the squad and, you know, not having as many veteran core players. And that, that's just a decision he kind of stuck by. And there was just so much noise, especially with the serial success that Muller had with Bayern, that Hummels had when he went back to Dortmund. Get these guys back in the squad. And I think he finally just caved to the pressure and realized that he didn't really have a choice. And, you know, I think... In the end, this tournament is just on borrow time. We all know that Hansi Flick is coming in and taking over after this summer. Everybody's looking forward to that after the serial success that he had with Bayern and likewise before having been an assistant to Joachim Love from 2006 all the way up until I believe it was like something like 2015, 2016. So, um, you know, it's kind of kind of interesting on both sides. They're just there's just like this impending feeling of uh, frustration and being let down. But in that sense, I think it kind of cancels each other out. And, you know, I think we have one of the most exciting matchups of the round of 16. Yes, we have Belgium, Portugal later today at the time we're recording. But who cares? It's all about Germany. Yeah. England. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like everyone's just kind of like wrote everything off now. The Welsh are out. So that's that's fine. Scotland went out last week. So 
to, to, to the English left to do stuff, isn't it? When uh, I think people didn't, and it's worked out in a way. Like because if we beat, as I said in the intro, if we beat Germany, you've got to look at that and go, blooming heck. Like I mean, Jack, we we've obviously spoke, we speak often off air about this kind of thing, um, specifically to annoy Scott. Um, but if you and it's a big if, but someone's got to win it. Whoever wins this is. As much as England haven't been great, as much as Germany haven't been great, you've got to fancy them against Spain or Ukraine, and you've got to fancy them in the, the semis, maybe even. You look at it as purely two halves of the draw, really, don't you, Graham? And I certainly think that our half of the draw is far more favourable. I mean, you think of the other half, you've got Belgium, Portugal, Italy have gone through, uh, Spain, France. Do you know what I mean? You've got quite a few teams that could potentially go on and win, whereas ours, I mean, yeah, we've got Holland and, you know, it might be dangerous right off the Dutch. I think they're very good going forward. Memphis Depay is one of the top scorers. I think they, they, I think they are dark horses to a certain extent, but mm-hmm. I'd certainly rather be an hour half of the draw. It's just, obviously, we have this major game now, but then if you can see it opening up, if, big if, we do get through. Um, and I think you, you need to look at it in terms of, you know, how, how far we're developing in the tournament and have we actually played really well? Have we peaked yet? Honest answer to that is no. Do you know what I mean? England haven't really played that well, have let's be honest. We've won two games and drawn one, and we haven't conceded a goal, but we played for well in spells against Croatia, maybe 20 minutes in the first half, 15 in the second half. Didn't play well at all against Scotland, and then you know, had an excellent first half against the Czech Republic, and then second half I was a bit disappointed. I thought we were a bit passive and allowed them to control it and really just sat off a little bit. So really, we haven't got anywhere near our top top gear yet, and yet we were in the last 16. So I think we need to just realise that the time is now for England, but you know there is still more to come from this England team. And I think really, going from a tactical point of view, I think Germany will be more worried about us than we should be of them. And I think if we go into this looking to attack, as we haven't really done a full game yet and we get quick players to run in behind we've already touched on I think this German team is really coming to the end of the cycle I think they've had a great you know, World Cup win in 2014 and, and they've had you know a decent uh, a decent run following that but then after that they were poor at the last World Cup weren't they really really poor at the last World Cup and I think it's that, really Is that the one where Neuer went on walkabout and allowed the Korean guy to score like from like 30 yards Yeah out. I was just watching it he was, he was playing as like a centre midfielder <laughs> in the last minute wasn't he they tried to put in like a Roy Keane style tackle and they played a long ball up with Son. Son ran in and tapped it in and knocked them out. It was just That's crazy. Right. But I think um I think it's a German team, like, you know, as as has been touched on, it's coming at the end of the cycle. I think the manager's not manager's not managing them after this. And I think he's had his day, hasn't he? And I just think strange to be confident as an England fan against Germany because you look at it, they knocked us out in 70 and 90, 96, 2010. They've knocked us out with so many tournaments. But I really do feel like we're all than one. This is our time now to get them out of the tournament. And I think it's, it's there for us. We have to grasp this opportunity and really go for it. We do. Yeah, I agree. Matt, there was a, like I was saying before, Tom, there's a, I can't remember the guy's name. It's going to really annoy me. I really like him whenever he comes on because he's the cheeriest German guy ever. And I've got loads of German mates that get on with like a house on fire. Um, very similar in, in their sense of humour. But there seems to be like, I don't know if it's a weird air of confidence, a bit like Tom was saying before, when we say it's coming home, it is poking fun at ourselves. And anyone who doesn't understand that is not looking at it close enough. And the Germans are kind of just like, yeah, it's England, it's fine, it's no problem. According to the media, and I'm a bit like, really? Like, you're not playing that well either. We've probably beaten a better side than what they, well, Portugal, Croatia, similar as you, if you prefer. We've both beaten decent sides and performed poorly against poor teams. Um 
psychological sides of football are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's, I definitely think it's grown. It's definitely important. It's hard to deny there's not a psychological block a little bit with England fans when we play Germany because of 1990, 2010, 1996. Need we go on? Um, do you think that'll play on the players' minds or do you think because most of them are so young they don't really remember those defeats like we do, they might be able to play with a bit more freedom? Uh, I'd, I'd hope so. Obviously, we won't know until 5pm on Tuesday, will we? Or 7pm mm-hmm. on Tuesday or 8pm, depending on how far it goes and how deep we have to take it to get the job done. As long as we get the job done, I don't really care. But I think if we go back to the 2018 World Cup and we ask this question about penalty shootouts and are our players scarred by previous failures from 12 yards and spot kicks um, in knockout tournaments? And I think the Columbia... Um, shootout victory kind of put that myth to bed a little bit and I'm hoping it's the same sort of thing now reference the Germans and being all like it's only England and and talking about the quarterfinals I think that's a little bit now more them trying to convince themselves than anything else I think if you ask any German football fan or anyone who watches the game um, on a global scale that they're going to be concerned a lot more than they have been in previous encounters with us and um I don't think there's any reason why we can't beat them. I'm not going to sit here and say we're going to thrash them like I've already mentioned, but we've all said it. Tom said it. Jack said it. You've said it. I've said it. This is a German team that's coming to the end of its cycle. It's coming to the end of of what's been a very good era. If you look at at what they've achieved under Joachim Love, they won it in... um, So they got to the final, I think, in 2006. Is that correct? Or the semi-finals in their own backyard, didn't they? Yes, semi-finals. Won it in 2014. They got to the finals of the semis of the Euros in 2012. Like Tom said, I'd have probably pulled the plug on Love after the last World Cup. Um, the thing in, or... But then if you look back, you go further back to, to the um, 2014, they was at their peak of their powers and it's still a lot of that team are involved and we've already mentioned you've got to go back to those that were written off and Tom alluded to, to Matt Hummels and, and Killian Mbappe being in a foot race in that opening game of the group and it was embarrassing for a player of, of Matt Hummels' calibre. I think he did get back in fairness to him and managed to make a recovery tackle, but Killian Mbappe gave him about four miles and, and just went past him like he was stood still. It was, it was an absolute joke. So from that point of view, England have got to be brave. England have got to get on the front foot. I'm not saying we go and you know set up like it's a game of FIFA and we just chuck a load of attacking players in. There's got to be balance, but and I know there's been a lot of call for it for both Grealish and Foden to be in this England team. For me, I'd only have one or the other. And I'd look at having pace out wide in both, on both sides of the pitch for two reasons. It will scare the Germans. It will stop their wing-backs pushing back, pushing on too far and trying to cause us a problem. And if we let them do that, they'll be a threat. Um, but Mats Hummels is a prime example. I don't think Rudiger's overly quick. I think he looks quicker because he plays alongside Hummels. Um, and it's weird that we're sitting here and saying you should be targeting a player of Matt Hummel's calibre considering what he's done in the game and what he's won in the game but for me he looks the weak link um, and if we can get him behind I think we can cause him real problems I think as much as it makes sense for Matt Hummel to be in the squad and you might agree with me on this Tom Bayern generally don't let their best players leave not for small fees and not back to a club that's competing against and obviously gone back to Dortmund. Um, I'm skipping a little bit far ahead here, Tom, and I'll come back to the other things I wanted to ask. But one of the, the big things I wanted to ask was regarding Thomas Miller's relationship with, I can't pronounce it right, I would say Joachim Lowe. Um, Joachim Lowe, I think. Uh, scratch and sniff. Um, 
I really like Thomas Miller. I think obviously he's a, he's a huge character. Like you can, like he's someone I, I absolutely love, like watching on the pitch, unless it's against England for obvious reasons. But there was a moment on the side of the pitch in the Hungary game where he's like, it kind of looked like Miller was sort of managing the team more than Jurgen Lowe was, which was kind of odd to see. Like we've seen it with Ronaldo in the final in 2016. That kind of makes sense. Like he was injured. He was working alongside his manager coaching, but like Miller were like, went over at the side and kind of almost said to Lowe, like, this isn't working or something along that lines. And you could see he was almost kind of telling Lowe what, uh, Lowe what to do. But because of what's happened, can you see a fracture between the relationship between Thomas Miller, maybe Hummels and Lowe? Or do, or do you think they've maybe buried the hatchet and we're looking into things a little bit too much? Well, and I think with, with Thomas Muller, we're talking about, right, one of the most unorthodox footballers in uh, the modern era. I think everybody can agree. He's kind of this tall, lanky guy who's surprisingly physical. But, you know, in, uh, in Germany, Bayern fans and Germany fans, they call him the Ramdeuter, which is basically a space interpreter. One of the biggest parts of his game is just, as the literal translation says, interpretation of space. He's always moving, you know, in those half spaces, in between the lines, whether it's on the ball, off the ball always getting other players involved, whether it's for Die Mannschaft Germany or, or Bayern. We have actually written several articles at Bavarian Football Works about looking at Lewandowski and the amazing scoring record he had this season uh, and all of the amazing scoring records he's had in past seasons. He's always, always, always more effective when Thomas Müller is on the pitch, whether that's direct goals involvements from Müller uh, in assists or him just being on the pitch. And in that sense, the numbers don't lie. But I think with a guy like Muller, his relationship with Joachim Love, uh, his relationship with Hummels, Boateng, other guys on the German squad. He's always the guy in the squad that's making jokes, leading by example. I personally, whatever you read, all the noise coming from some of the German sources like Build, uh, Kicker, Sport One, ZDF, you know, you name it. Uh, they're very quick to be critical and, and get on players' backs. Uh, a lot of it is comprised of former players as as is usually the case with a lot of punditry work. But, you know, I, I think that he's kind of one of those guys who can be a mediator as much as he can be a leader. Uh, and I don't think there's any any qualms. I think everything's been buried. I think what you read in the press is one thing and what goes on between the conversations between guys like that, whether it's Muller and Love, uh, Muller and Hummels, Hummels and Love, or whatever it may be, I think it's very professional. Um, I think that the players realize everybody feels Joachim Love is on borrowed time, but they're not going to let that override anything or get in the way of, you know, the success of the team or, you know, the, the team chemistry or the morale. Um, and they also refer to Muller as Radio Muller uh, in Germany for, you could probably see, especially with Geisterspiele, basically ghost games without fans. You could hear the players yell a lot more and you're always going to hear Thomas Muller giving those tactical shouts, whether, you know, he's on the bench, as you mentioned, like he was against Hungary. And by the way, that was another thing, too. It was miraculous that he was even listed on the bench for that. He had had uh, what's referred to as a knee capsule injury um, in the second half against Portugal. I believe it was already 4-2 at the time. He kind of, in typical Muller, unorthodox fashion, he kind of went to block across. I believe it was either uh, Ruben Diaz who was trying to send it in or somebody else. I can't remember now that I'm trying to think back, but kind of lifted his right leg. Uh, in a very awkward fashion, and the cross was moving at pace, and he blocked it uh, with his foot, but it kind of caused his uh, his knee to twist or hyperextend a little bit. He was not expected to be in the lineup for that matchup against Hungary, and there was all this conversation of who's going to supplant him in the starting lineup because he's not going to be able to go, and 
from a Bayern perspective, everyone was banged for Leon Goretzka to get back in. And obviously we saw the difference that he made when he came on, but he made the decision to start Leroy Sané, who, you know, I'm always someone I don't want to be too critical of players. I understand the psychology, having been a player myself and, you know, how much things people say can affect me if like I read it or if my coach manager said something negative during a game when there's, you know, nowhere near like these guys, but maybe a couple hundred fans in the stands, you know, calling you names at an away game and all that kind of stuff. But Sané was pedestrian at best. I think Germany just looked completely flat. You know, they had nothing going forward. It was all far too slow. Kai Havertz finally breaks the deadlock for Germany, so to speak, in the second half. And then he gets pulled off, which was uh, a little bit weird in my opinion. I would have, Sané would have been the first guy I would have taken off. But, you know, Joachim Love had come out and, and said that the idea was to try and get him in 1v1 situations. He had even pushed him out uh, more further on the right wing uh, at some point in the second half to try and get on the ball more and create more with those 1v1 situations. Right when you look at all of Germany's group stage matches, we've been kind of playing with this. Uh, you can kind of either refer to it as a back five or a back three with a midfield five with Robin Gersons on the left on that inverted wing and Joshua Kimmich, who, by the way, much prefers playing in the center of midfield. And that double pivot at Bayern works so well between him and uh, Leon Goretzka. But we know that he's a guy who can play right back. He can he can do a job for you. And Germany kind of have an overabundance of center backs and not many right backs other than Joshua Kimmich. Yes, Niklas Sula possesses the pace. He is a bigger guy. He gets a little bit of flack. People say he's chunky, but he's very quick for, for a, a player his side. And he can play right back if need be, but I just don't think that's a gamble that Yakim Love wants to take, especially as Matt and Jack have both uh, mentioned previously with the attacking options that England have. In my opinion, uh, I kind of agree with, with Matt. You know, I've heard plenty of pundits talking about, you know, oh, we got to get... Foden and Grealish on the pitch at the same time. Uh, it, from the German perspective, there's this huge, huge call for Jaden Sancho to get more minutes because of the form he was in for Borussia Dortmund at the end of the season. Phenomenal. Absolutely ludicrous to a lot of Bundesliga fans that he hasn't, I think he's played six minutes yeah. uh, against the Czechs, which didn't really matter at that point. Um, but in my opinion, you know, if I'm looking at Germany's defense, uh, you can, in my opinion, you could put Grealish on either side. And to me, he's just someone he constantly wants the ball, constantly was looking to create, obviously created uh, Raz's goal, Raheem Sterling's goal early on in that first half. And he was kind of in and, in and around the movement when Sterling hit the post, like in something like the third or the fourth minute uh, against the Czechs. And Saka also surprised me as well. But, you know, Southgate has to make those decisions. But I think if you put those attacking players, you, as uh, I believe Matt had said, you're going to force both Kimmich and Gersons to stay at bay. And, you know, I think that that France and for large portions, Hungary showed that when you're able to do that, you can really frustrate them and stifle them because when it's not an open game, they tend to struggle. And, you know, the, the buildup is just far too possess pedestrian and it gets very, very frustrating. And that seeps into it. And, you know, that is always going to play into England's favor. That's what one big thing I really hope we do. I hope we turn them from being a back three into a back five because I think you say that a lot with, with England. Croatia did that in the semi-finals. They turned our back three into a back five because Perisic kind of got at us and, and the other guy in the right, I can't quite remember who it was. But um, one player I did want to ask you about, I, I actually watched the Hungary-Germany game as opposed to the... I, I saw a flick, but I watched more of Hungary once Hungary started 
winning for obvious reasons. Um, Goretzka's not unknown. Obviously, he's had an injury, he's come back, but he's not an unknown player. People know what he produces. But for me, the game really changed in Germany's favour. It looked like Germany could have pulled it back when Jamal Musiala came on, who obviously plays for Bayern. Um, in my opinion, he, he ultimately changed the game. He looked tricky, he looked fearless. He kind of looked like what we've got excited about in the likes of Grealish and, and whatnot. He's only 18. Um as someone who watches Bayern on a regular basis, what, what can you tell us about uh, Musiala and is he likely to play? He is a very impressive talent. And it's funny that this is the matchup because you guys probably remember months ago, he had to make the decision whether he wanted to represent Germany or England on the international level because of his uh, parents, you know, the dual citizenship that he has. Um, and he ultimately chose Germany. I think they were able to offer him a better package. I think you guys would probably agree with all the young talent that England has. He might have found it difficult to get into the team. But what's interesting is from a Bayern standpoint, as you said, he's fearless and he can play a multitude of different positions. We've seen him come on for Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, Thomas Müller, central attacking midfielder, wide left, as we kind of saw against Hungary. He's even dropped in and, and played as one of those, uh, you know, if you want to call it a triple pivot or a double pivot in midfield, Bayern had to deal with a lot of injuries this season. So we've seen Musiala in a lot of different positions. And the one thing I think can make him very effective, and I think we even saw when you were watching the second half against Hungary, is his ability in tight spaces. You know, he's kind of a, a smaller guy, a lanky guy. There's a running joke amongst Bayern fans. We just need to get him to hang out with Leon Goretzka if you guys... I don't know if you would get the joke, you know, Leon Goretzka came back from COVID lockdown with probably like five or six pounds of added muscle. And even myself, I actually manage a fitness center for a living. And I was like looking at him. I was like, Jesus, like he definitely packed on, you know, and those kits, they're designed to fit very tight. And I, I guarantee he probably fills out like a like a large or an XL because, you know, the authentic jerseys, they really if you have any kind of muscle, they really hug you super tight. Or a belly, a, as I would yeah, know. <laughs> if, if you've got a little bit of a gut, it's going to it's gonna show. But it, that's, you know, he's just so good in tight spaces. And we kind of saw that in display of Goretzka's goal. It was him on that left flank, making a little bit of a space for himself, sending the cross in. I think it made its way to Timo Werner, who had come on as a sub also. Um, and then he had, it was actually Goretzka who had laid it off for Timo Werner. Werner shot is blocked right back to the feet of Goretzka. Beautiful strike. Number of bodies in the Hungarian box. Keeper couldn't see it too well. Uh, Peter Gulashi, actually, who was a big keeper, um, couldn't see it too well. And that was that. That was the goal that ultimately got us uh, to go through, which was which was huge. And I think we saw the difference that Müller, uh, Goretzka, Musiala made. Came on. Timo Werner, I guess he was involved in that goal, but he's another guy. Uh, you know, a lot of German fans would say he's like serially underperforming for Germany. And he, he did kind of catch fire a little bit towards the end of Chelsea season, not as much from a goals and assist perspective, but I thought he was all right in the Champions League final and that run in, though he did miss uh, one or two sitters, if I recall correctly. But Musiala, I think that's the one thing to watch out for is his ability in tight spaces. You know, there's so many times when you think a, a sequence, whether it's first phase, second phase, is just completely gone wriggle space for himself and, and that can be dangerous and from that aspect being a young guy not much experience he was kind of dealing with an injury in the beginning of germany's camp uh was kind of training individually working with some of the physios to kind of recover um but that was the i believe in the first two matches he wasn't even listed on the on the match sheet uh and then obviously against hungary he was and came on to great effect and nothing to lose for him 
Uh, that's kind of the best position to be in, so to speak. Come on, make an impact. And we, we can see the severity of that situation. You're losing 2-1 on the verge of crashing out, potentially finish, finishing as one of the best third-place teams, but that makes your route much, much harder. So he knew uh, very well what the implications were. And, you know, I'm sure Yakim Love took him on the shoulder and just said, you know what, do what you can, no fear. You have nothing to lose here. And, you know, that sometimes that's the best position to be in. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come on as a sub if, you know, the match is tight. Uh, with England or just before extra time or whatever it may be. And he's a very exciting talent. And as I said, definitely one to watch for in those tight spaces. Fingers crossed we put him away before half time, lads, then. Eh? Um, <laughs> Jack, uh, one of the big questions that's going to reverberate around for ages, I'm sure Sky Sports will tell us what their starting lineup is before we uh, even, you know, before the, the team even knows, because they seem to like telling everyone what the formation is and exactly how we're going to play. Thanks, lads. Saka, Sancho, Grealish, Mount, Kane and Foden. You've got a front four probably that's going to play in that. Um, Mount's obviously questionable because of COVID and so on and so forth, but really straightforward question. Who's your front four, Jack? Um, it, is a fr- it is a difficult question, Graham. And I was just saying that the attack and midfielder area is one of the areas of the pitch for England and the squad that we've got like lots and lots of options, haven't we? Do you know what I mean? It's like we've got probably six or seven. So I would, I mean, it's going to be Kane up front, isn't it? That's the, the yeah. nailed uncertainty. Um, I'd probably go Grealish. Um, and then I think, yes, yeah, Saka, you know, Saka, Saka started really, played really well. I'd, I'd play him. I, I thought he was, he, he was on form. And then across the other side, I mean, do you go Sancho? Do you, but, but the German, the German players know him quite well. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll probably go Kane, Saka, Grealish, and then Mount or Foden. You know, depending on if, if Mount's going to be fit or not. I think Mount's a massive miss if he's not. I think it's kind of been underplayed. People have kind of gone, oh, Mount's injured, and there would be like a total freak out of Grealish. But for, for me, and I think loads of people who've played a lot more football than I have, professional footballers who do comment on it, say, you know, Mount's one of the first names on the team sheet, and rightly so. And, and I, I kind of agree with that. I think outside of Kane, you look at Mount, probably the first name on the team sheet, um, unless Henderson's fit. And, and for me, Mount not being fit would be a huge, huge loss. But again, I wouldn't play him unless he's 100%. I really, I, I genuinely wouldn't. Hopefully, he's managed to get a bit of training in and stuff like that. But, but Matt, same question to you. What, who's your front four? Uh, same as it was against the Czech Republic. I'd leave Grealish. I'd leave Saka in. I thought he was very, very good. Why would you drop a player who's just who's just gone and got man in a match in, in in his first competitive tournament game for England? I thought he was very impressive. He, everything that we did well for the first 45, 60 minutes. He was heavily involved in. He was heavily involved in the goal. He picks up the ball on the halfway line. We talk about people being fearless. He's got no history of this Germany thing, um, aside from what he's seen on the internet. Got the ball, drove at a Czech Republic back four, created space where we ultimately, we got Grealish in down the left-hand side. And then it's a free header for Sterling at the back post. There was a good bit of movement in the middle, I think it was. Um, I'm not sure who made the run into the front post that took people away from Sterling, who just drifted off his man at the far stick. And... I can't see why you drop Saka. Again, we come back to Sancho. You look at his form, I think it was 36 goal outputs last season in the Bundesliga, but I don't know whether he's got pictures of Gareth Southgate or something, but there's a reason why he's not playing. But for me, the Germans are going to know more about Jaden Sancho than they are Bakayo Saka, aren't they? So I think there's a little bit of the unknown element to keep Saka in. 
Sterling, you can't take out for me. He scored our only two goals at the end of the day. Um, he's got 14 in his last 19 for England. So forget the Man City form and all that nonsense about it. he was rubbish last season. He wasn't as good as he has been, but he weren't rubbish by any stretch. Kane has to play. He's our best player. Um, and Jack Grealish, I thought, was very good. And I was surprised he came off after 65 minutes. I don't think I'd start Mount or Chilwell based on what's happened over the last week. I've seen pictures on social media of them being out running on their own, but that's not anywhere near the same as being in the group and doing all the drills that they'd have been doing as a collective, as an 11. And also, there was talk of us going back to a back three or a back five, however you want to label it. I don't want us to. We've been, no. we've been very good defensively playing 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. So let's not change it all up because it's the Germans. Let's respect them, but let's not go and try and match them up. Let's go and play how we've played for three games and not conceded for three games. And let's go and cause them a problem. Let's make them think about us rather than us worrying about them from the off. I'd only make one change in the whole 11 from, from the other night, and that would be Henderson in for Rice or Phillips. I'm always going to be on board with that. I'm always going to be on board with Jordan <laughs> I hope you Henderson. Might be for in. some reason. Yeah, love Henderson. I think Henderson is... I don't dislike Declan Rice, but I just think Henderson does those little 25-yard dips over the top. He just passes forward. I know the belief is that he passes backwards and sideways. He really doesn't. He does far more passes forward. Henderson's... I love Jordan Henderson. Um, so I, I, I think everyone will know that. And everyone listening to this, being majority Sunderland fans, I would assume are going to just say the same. So there's no point in me labouring on it. Um, should be captain, Graham. Should be captain. He should be captain. He should far be captain. He should be captain of the world. Prime Minister, for my liking. Um, <laughs> he hasn't got much competition, has he, to be fair? Um, I think, you know, we've managed to get like 40 minutes or so, 45 minutes or so into a podcast without mentioning the war. However, I don't love Euro 96. I certainly don't like Italia 90. Um, I did enjoy the 5-1 in Munich. I did enjoy the 1-0 in Euro 2020. I live with the Euro, the Euro 2010 one. Fair enough. That was the first time we got beaten fairly and squarely. However, we do need to win this one and we do have to make predictions. Jack, I'll come to you first. What is your, your goal scorer and your, your match prediction? Well, I think uh, we've kept three clean sheets so far, but I do think our defence will be breached. I do think the Germans will score. Um, and it wouldn't surprise us if we had to go to extra time, but I'm going to go 1-1 normal time, and I think we'll get it done 2-1 in extra time. Uh, who do I think will score England's goals? I'm never, I'm useless when I say scorers, whenever I say someone's going to score, I never usually get it right. Um, but I, I just, I, I said, I keep saying, I think Harry Kane's due to get one. He's too good of a striker to keep missing big goals and big games, so I think Kane will get one, and I'll go Jack Grealish. I think I said the same two players last time. I think Germany will score, and I think Kane and Grealish will get it done. Two-one uh, England in extra time. I think. I think that's. I think we might have to take it extra time, but I think we'll just just get over the line. But I think it's going to be nervy and tight. Tom, I'll come to you next. What What's your goal score prediction and, and score prediction? Yeah, just as Jack has said, I definitely think there's going to be goals in this one, despite the clean sheets that. England has kept. I'm going to go 2 1 in the end, uh, also after extra time, but to kind of just expand on that thought, um, you know, going off the, the front four prediction for England, you know, I have, while I personally agree with Matt, I would just keep it exactly the same because I loved what I saw. And then, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a chess match at that point as well. You know, if Muller uh, and or Goretzka comes back into the German lineup, then that leaves less to bring off the bench. You only have, you know, uh, guys like Musiala, Leroy Sané, who has just has had a difficult tournament with the chances that he's been given. Um, I think England, in that sense, have a little bit more of an exciting bench of guys that can come on, really inject pace. 
So that's the that's the luxury. You know, if I have a like I said, I have a feeling that he's going to put Foden back in the starting lineup, whether it's for Saka or Grealish. For me, you can't take either of those two out of the team with how productive they were. But on the same token, I think Saka is completely fine coming off the bench and making uh, an immediate difference, especially if it's late on, uh, if we're level pegging. He can really come and inject that pace and, and cause a lot of problems for, you know, Rudiger, Hummels, Ginter, who's very, very prone to mistakes, as we saw uh, with that second Hungarian goal where Neuer kind of mistimed his coming off of the line. Ginter had a complete whiff at the ball. Um, so I'm going to go 2-1. I just think England has the more exciting options on the bench. And, you know, the onus, I think, is going to be on on Germany because of the fact that they don't have as exciting of a bench coming off and, uh, yeah, I think Sterling for me is really going to be effective if he plays just tucked behind Kane as he did against the Czechs with Grealish and Saka on either flank. To me, him running in behind, you know, there's all this talk of, you know, uh, why is Kane dropping so deep to get possession, whether it's for Tottenham uh, or for England. But if that's going to allow space for Sterling to run in behind, as we uh, as we had discussed, um, you know, a la Hummels against Mbappe. There's only one winner in that foot race, and I think Sterling. It's safe to say he has a lot more pace than, you know, arguably uh, Ginter, Rudiger, and, and Mats Hummel. So that's an exciting uh, lineup for me. And you know, Grealish. Another thing I think is overlooked. If he's if he's on that left flank or the right flank, trying to keep Gersons uh, or Kimmich honest. You know, that's going to really disrupt the productivity of Germany going forward. They really like to stretch the pitch, make it wide, whip those crosses, and as we saw against Portugal, to great effect and. You know, always Grealish and Saka, whoever it is, they always possess the ability to, um, you know, win free kicks in those tight spaces. Uh, and to me, I know we didn't discuss the defense, but that's kind of why I would maybe think about bringing Trippier back into the side. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what Southgate is going to do in, in that effect. You know, I, as I said earlier, he's been very pragmatic with his team selections. And, um, you know, a lot of England fans are a little bit frustrated that they haven't scored more goals, but you can't complain with uh, where they've gotten topping the group and going through without conceding a goal. So I'm curious to see where he's going to make those decisions. And then I'm just personally as a center midfield in my day, in my playing days, I'm very, very excited to see the matchup between Gunduan, Cruz, and I'm assuming Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips, who I think has had a fantastic tournament, uh, especially in that opening match against Croatia. But I think that's going to be where the best, the best matchup is going to be. I always love myself uh, a good central midfield battle. Yeah, engine room battles are always the best when you win it anyway. If they're not, they're the worst. Um, Matt, what's your prediction? Goal scorer, who's going to win? I'm going to be boring. I'm going to say 2-1 England, but I'm going to say we'll get it done in 90 minutes. So just to make it a little bit different, I'm again, it comes back to what we've all said. We know that this is England's best opportunity to beat Germany in tournament football for a long time, but I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself. So I'm not going to predict anything stupid. I think the first goal is massive. If England can get it, is there, is there talk of 45,000 being behind us? 45,000. on Tuesday, so that's going to be huge. And you think, imagine 40, 42,000 of them are going to be England fans. So if we can make some noise and we can start on the front foot like we've spoken about all of this podcast, then I think England will cause Germany loads of problems. Kane is definitely due one. He's too good a striker to be going too many games. I'm going to back Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling to score our goals. Just looking at the Germans over the last 10 fixtures that they played, they're conceding over 1.5 a game. That's that's very un-German. Um, they conceded six against Spain. I know that in the Nations League, but they've been beaten by North Macedonia recently in World Cup qualifying. And they've struggled all through this tournament. They conceded five in the group stage, two against, even when they was good against Portugal. But 
talking about what Tom was mentioning about we've got more options on the bench. I think in terms of ceilings as well, England have got more gears to go through. I think Germany have had to get to a very high gear to see off Portugal, had to get to a very high gear to get a, a draw against Hungary. And, and no disrespect to Hungary, they're not, you know, a heavyweight of European football. And uh, I don't think England have got out of second gear, to be honest, to get through the group. Um, so I think there's a lot more to come from England. The thing that could have a bearing on it is something we've already mentioned, and that's whether the England players freeze because it is Germany. But if they don't, I'm back in England to win by the odd goal. I'll give you my prediction at the end. I think 1-1. <laughs> I'm going to say Kane to score. I'm going to say Goretzka for Germany. And I'm going to say England win on penalties. Oh, God, no. Penalties <laughs> <laughs> and the Germans, no. Oh, no, goes no, to no, penalties. No. I don't, if it goes to penalties, I don't fancy it. <laughs> I do. Pickford. Who's, who scores the winner for England if it goes to pens? I was going to say Eric Dyer. I was going to say Eric Dyer. Dyer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Henderson, because he missed the last no. one. He missed, it. he missed a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah against yeah, Romania. Yeah, he missed <laughs> against Romania. Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford. He's decent. He's decent yeah. at pens. No, it's gonna... not going that far. It's not going that far. Right, cut the pod. Cut the pod. Cut the pod. Yes, right. Do subscribe. Do enjoy the game. <laughs> um, if you go into it, which obviously there's more of us than most, um, recently anyway, uh, get behind them. Obviously, I think it's going to be majority England fans. Um, and just enjoy it. Like we haven't enjoyed football for so long, being at games, and we haven't had a big game like this for so long. We've been stuck on our houses across the world, not just across the nation. So get stuck into it, enjoy it, get a few beers down your rope, whatever you want, wine, gin, but you know. And then we'll be back with a review pod, which I'm hoping to do from the stadium, but I'll let you know what kind of state I'm in and whether that's going to actually happen. Uh, thanks to Matt, thanks to Tom, and thanks to Jack. Cheers. <laughs>